0: Welcome to Creation, Myth or Miracle. This is your host, ex-atheist Richard Walker. Greetings to our Boston radio audience, as well as those of you who listen to this via podcast. I'm sort of a latecomer to the podcast world. However, I've recently begun listening to several different ones. I check to see what new episodes are available, download the ones that interest me, and then listen to them wherever I want and whenever I want. Technology really does make communication rather convenient, and we have brand new ways of gathering information than we used to have. That doesn't mean we're any smarter than we used to be. It just means we have additional info available to us, but with the increased available information... You better be discerning. You better use your brain and think about what's presented to you. And you need to decide what you're going to believe. And this particular show, Creation Myth or Miracle, is what is called Christian apologetics. That does not mean we are apologizing for being Christians. Rather, it means we are providing reasons for what we believe. And that reasoning is then available to you for your consideration. And on this episode, let's talk about something big. How about the universe? That's pretty big. And let's try to reason logically about this. Do you believe the universe actually exists? Or is it some kind of a figment of your imagination? Do you actually exist? Or is all of this just some kind of figment of someone else's imagination? Or is there actually nothing? Now, I don't think anybody rationally actually believes there's nothing at all, but there are many people who claim to believe that the world around us is an illusion and that we can't really observe reality. Now, I don't happen to hold that belief system, and so for the balance of this episode and every other one that we do on this show, we're going to assume reality really exists, and secondly, that we're able to observe it, and we're able to do experiments, we're able to observe how things operate, we're able to do science, in other words. This includes within it the belief that the universe acts sort of rationally, that is, what occurs today in the laboratory, will be repeatable tomorrow. That we believe that things normally operate the same way from place to place and from time to time. And when we observe how things do seem to operate we put together what we call the laws of nature. Now, sometimes people understand those as nature must follow these laws. Another way to think about it, which I think is more accurate, is this is our best understanding of how nature does behave. What we observe allows us to describe it, usually in a mathematical way, usually very precisely. And we can then take that description, that mathematical algorithm, make other measurements, and check to see does it really match what we seem to observe. And remarkably, and it turns out, we're able to describe the behavior of the physical world around us to a remarkably accurate extent. Both relativity and quantum mechanics have a great deal of precision in their predictions of how things will behave, and these predictions have largely been shown to be true. Now, just for a little extra background, just because a theory seems to match all observations doesn't mean it's complete, nor does it necessarily mean it's true. For example, Newtonian mechanics was a theory that turned out to not be quite complete or correct. It was superseded by relativity. And you could think of it as, on a large scale, almost everything that we measure within relativity matches the way we would look at it in the world of Newtonian mechanics. However, there were a few instances where things didn't behave quite the way Newtonian mechanics expected them to. That's what caused the derivation of relativity in the first place, was consideration of these little problem areas. And so you could think of relativity as a superset of Newtonian mechanics. So anyway, we have our descriptions of how things behave. We want to be able to go into the laboratory, make measurements, compare them with these descriptions, with these physical theories, and see if they match or not. Well, let's get really basic. When you look around you, do you see anything? We see all kinds of stuff. We see the Earth and all of the components of it, all the people and animals on it, etc., we also see the solar system, the sun, and millions of other stars and galaxies in a rather enormous universe. So a very fundamental question is, where did the universe come from? Did it have a beginning, or has it always existed somehow? There are still some people who try to hang on to the notion of an eternal universe, but they have very serious problems with physics and things like the law of entropy. So most scientists no longer believe the universe is actually eternal, and this leads rather directly to the conclusion that it must have had a beginning. Hence the question, how did it begin? Where did it come from? The biblical creationist view simply takes scripture at its face value, at what it clearly says, and that is that God created the universe. And in fact, he told us the sequence of events over the six days of creation in the first chapter of Genesis, and then reaffirms that everything happened in those six days when it's referenced elsewhere, such as in Exodus, and there's references in the New Testament to creation as well. So that's a fundamentally biblical view. God is the source of the creation of the universe. He made it. And let's quickly do away with the nonsensical objection that Richard Dawkins likes to promote and others, which is that solves nothing. Because the immediate question then is, who made God? But the God of the Bible is clearly defined as a non-created being, as a being that has always existed. And so Dawkins' question boils down to saying, who created the uncreated being? It's a nonsensical, illogical, internally inconsistent question. But just to show the shallowness of that type of logic, that gets presented as though it destroys the rationale of a biblical belief system. Right? That's how Dawkins uses it. Obviously, people who believe in God are just not very bright. When they say God created the universe, well, who created God? Obviously, you're not a very intelligent person. Well, let's apply his logic to his own belief. The universe exists. Who created the universe? And various answers get given, which are going to be the subject of this show in just a few moments. Some recent claims about how the universe spontaneously arose from nothing. But, it's not really nothing, that's a clue. Let's take Dawkins' logic. We say, well, this is what created the universe. This particular situation, this particular physical law, this particular behavior. Well, let me ask you this. Where did that come from? Who created that? So if they say the universe arose from a fluctuation in a quantum vacuum, well, who created the quantum vacuum? And if you try to say, well, that was created by XYZ, then we'll simply say, well, where did XYZ come from? And you have the same type of infinite regress that Dawkins uses to conclude a biblical worldview is nonsense. Every worldview has to have something which is eternal and uncaused. In the biblical worldview, that is God. In reality, in the non-biblical atheistic worldview, it must be the universe in some form or another. More about recent conclusions and ponderings on this idea in just a moment. We're discussing some recently published ideas about where the universe came from, and we're going to use an article over at creation.com titled The Singularity, A Dark Beginning. It's written by physicist and cosmologist Dr. John G. Hartnett, and one of our recent broadcasts, titled One Serious Scientist, it's available on our website if you'd like to listen to it, talked about Dr. Hartnett. He's a well-published, well-credentialed physicist. And he also is a serious scientist who believes in biblical creation. Well, what are some of the claims out there in the mainstream science world about the origin of the universe? How about this one? It's right from the front cover of Discover Magazine in April 2002. Quote, The universe burst into something from absolutely nothing, zero, nada. And as it got bigger, it became filled with even more stuff that came from absolutely nowhere. How is that possible? Ask Alan Guth. His theory of inflation helps explain everything. Let me interject that we had a show discussing inflation recently titled, What's Inflation Got to Do Got to Do With It? You could find that also on our website and listen to the podcast if you'd like. So the claim is the universe came from absolutely nothing, zero, nada. Well, here's another statement. It's the title of a 2014 paper just published in the American Physical Society Journal, Physical Review D. It's one of America's most prestigious journals dealing with physical theory. The title of the article is Spontaneous Creation of the Universe from Nothing. And this article claims to have a mathematical proof that the universe did indeed burst into something from nothing. And there's also a website extolling the wonders of this discovery in an item titled, A Mathematical Proof That the Universe Could Have Formed Spontaneously From Nothing, with the subtitle, Cosmologists Assume That Natural Quantum Fluctuations Allowed the Big Bang to Happen Spontaneously, Now they have a mathematical proof. And I should note that mainstream science, as well as many Christian scientists, believe the Big Bang really happened. The website lists evidence in support of this Big Bang cosmogony. And that means the theory or story of the origin and development of the universe, solar system, earth, moon system, whatever we're talking about. And these particular evidences are commonly presented as virtual proof that the Big Bang must have happened. One, the Cosmic Microwave Background Radiation, the CMB, it's often claimed as an echo of the Big Bang, or fossil radiation from that explosion. Second, the expansion of the cosmos or space itself, which, when imagined by extrapolating it backwards, suggest its origin in a Big Bang that is a dimensionless point or a singularity. And third, the abundances of the primordial elements, such as hydrogen, helium-4, helium-3, deuterium, and a few others, can all be calculated using the theory. So we have the big three, the cosmic microwave background radiation, the expansion of space itself, so you can run it backwards to an initial point, and the abundances of these primordial elements. Those are the three most commonly claimed evidences for the Big Bang, often touted as virtual proof. Dr. Hartnett writes evolutionary cosmology is very much like evolutionary biology, which tries to establish the origin of all living things over the past 3.8 billion years by an appeal to circumstantial evidence. The strongest parallel I see here is the fossils in the sedimentary layers that are supposed to represent millions to billions of years of history, yielding a sequence of organisms that allegedly evolved one from another over time. The fossil radiation of the CMB is meant to be the leftover radiation from the Big Bang Fireball, called the, quote, last scattering surface, after which light was freed from being trapped in the hot plasma and traveled unimpeded throughout the universe. The expansion of space and the elemental abundances are more such circumstantial evidence. Though the CMB radiation was a prediction of George Gamow in 1948 at 5k, later revised to 50k, by the way the correct value is a little less than 3k, but the elemental abundances can hardly be claimed as a prediction. That's because the hydrogen-helium ratio for the universe had already been measured and was well known before Gamow's students, Alpha and Herman calculated what they should be, using a knowledge of declassified nuclear parameters after the close of World War II. This has been more correctly called a post-diction. But there remains a truly huge puzzle. If there ever were a Big Bang, what caused it to bang? What started it off in the first place? For many years, cosmologists have believed that the universe just formed spontaneously, that the Big Bang was the result of some quantum fluctuations in which the universe just popped into existence from nothing. And I mean nothing. No space, no time, no energy, nothing. And in the new Physical Review article, the authors write, We present such a proof based on the analytic solutions of the Wheeler-DeWitt equation, once a small, true vacuum bubble is created by quantum fluctuations of the metastable false vacuum, it can expand exponentially, no matter whether the bubble is closed, flat, or open. Now note, the proof they offer is a mathematical one. It is not the type of proof you might be expecting where a physical theory has been tested by development of a hypothesis which is then tested by an experiment through predictions the model makes. Not at all. In this case, it relies totally on the unproven assumption that the mathematical model used somehow describes the universe an extremely short while after the Big Bang expansion was supposed to have begun. It also relies on the assumption that the real universe can be described by the mathematics and physical laws they assume in a putative past epoch where it is impossible to test anything. The new approach extends the work of John Wheeler and Bryce DeWitt, who developed a mathematical formalism combining general relativity and quantum mechanics in an effort to develop a quantum gravity theory for the early universe. This resulted in the famous Wheeler-DeWitt equation. Now let me pause briefly here while your eyes glaze over. I promise we're not going to try to describe the mathematical equation. But I want to make one quick comment. I happen to really like abstract mathematics and have a degree in it. But just because a particular abstract mathematical model can be developed and can be internally consistent, that doesn't mean it matches the physical world around us, does it? As an example, there are many different types of geometry. There is the Euclidean geometry everybody learned in high school, in which parallel lines go on forever and never intersect. But there are several types of non-Euclidean geometry, which have contradictory axioms. Now, which of these, if any, matches the real world around us? Or perhaps the geometry we experience in the real world behaves one way in the local region and on a larger scale behaves differently. So anyway, just don't confuse a mathematical proof or mathematical model with the idea that it must necessarily match the world around us. A major point about this new mathematical model that supposedly proves how the universe originated is that it assumes the total energy content of the universe is zero. That is, sum up all the matter and all forms of energy in the universe, and the total will be zero. So it has famously been said that the Big Bang is the ultimate free lunch. Paul Davies wrote, So science has done away with the need for a button-pushing creator who lives for eternity before making a universe at a certain moment in time. Now you might ask, why is it assumed that the total energy content of the universe is zero? That's because if it were not, if it somehow arose in a quantum fluctuation, it would have disappeared a very long time ago. Because the lifespan is inversely proportional to the total energy. A lot of energy, very short lifespan. So it is assumed the total energy content is zero. That may seem unintuitive or counterintuitive to you as it does to me, but nonetheless, that assumption is made and it's very important. One other quick note is obviously we can't test this theory against the universe. We can't look at several different universes and see how well they compare with this particular theory because we only have one that we can look at. This is called the problem of cosmic variance. And it's one of the reasons cosmology or cosmogony is really different than, say, laboratory chemistry. Now, when you dig into the mathematics, which Dr. Hartnett did in his article, and you might want to look at that, not only do they assume the total energy is zero, but they also make the presumption that the current laws of physics apply. So please understand that. Not only is there assumptions about the total energy content, but there are assumptions about physical laws existing and being in effect. But for a universe like ours to come into existence by itself without a creator, it must create its own laws of physics, as well as generate space and time and matter and energy from nothing, not from a pre-existing quantum vacuum, metastable or not even with their approach, the appearance of a universe would still require a pre-existing intelligent agency or power. And as Dr. Hartnett says, no doubt their solution to this is to say that an infinite number of universes could probabilistically be created from the vacuum, and it is only in this one that these laws of physics apply, etc. Very commonly stated, supposed solution to this enigma. But that does not solve it because then you could not claim that all the laws used to explain this universe also explain the others of the multiverse coming into existence. How could you justify using our laws of physics to describe another universe where you have no knowledge of its physics? And you could not use our current laws to generate all those other universes which have different laws. So please understand, despite the headlines, they really have not proven that the universe came from nothing. In fact, other scientists try to solve this problem of the first cause for the universe by saying that the universe is a three-dimensional membrane floating through a four-dimensional bulk universe. Or they invoke higher dimensions and string theory to explain how their universe began and why it is. This is an appeal to new physics way beyond what we know now and can even hope to test experimentally because it involves many more dimensions and takes place in some hypothetical past epoch and space. This approach has been proposed with M-theory, a form of string theory in as many as 11 dimensions or even 28 in one form. Famously, Leonard Susskind labeled the M in M-theory as meaning monstrous. M-theory and its cousin string theory are not physics, but mathematics, which lack any predictive power in the real world and hence are untestable. This seems to me to be a grab for a solution, to find an uncaused cause, because the Big Bang, with its unbiblical sequence of events, needs a first cause. For the past 40 years, string theory has gone on without a single experimental test or astronomical observations to verify any prediction. Remember, these are the words of Dr. John Hartnett. I once asked Professor James Gates, the Toll Professor of Physics and Director of the Center for String and Particle Theory at the University of Maryland, what he would say if no verifiable test of string theory were ever achieved. He answered that he would have just wasted the past 40 years of his life. So, what caused the universe to explode? Alan Guth says, In spite of the fact we call it the Big Bang Theory, uh, it really says absolutely nothing about the Big Bang. It doesn't tell us what banged, why it banged, what caused it to bang. It doesn't even describe. It doesn't really allow us to predict what the conditions are immediately after this Big Bang. And Paul Davies adds, Yet the laws of physics that permit a universe to create itself are even more impressive than a cosmic magician. If there is a meaning or purpose beneath physical existence, then it is to those laws, rather than to the Big Bang, that we should direct our attention. And I've not seen even attempt at someone explaining where those laws came from. Hartnett continues, "...worship the creation." is what comes across the new religion of the scientific elite. Some professing Christians have unwisely said this Big Bang creator must have been God, the biblical creator. He started it off. Many such ideas have him as a very impotent God who had nothing much to do after that. It seems they're proposing him as some sort of God of the gaps. Modern Big Bang theory is an attempt to describe the universe without the creator. It has no God. Don't be taken in by the technical bluff and bluster of the Big Bang proponents. It is not science in the usual repeatable laboratory experimental sense, and it is very weak as one can never be certain one's model actually describes reality. This is storytelling at its best. And this story is a supposed sequence of events that are well described, but all of it occurs after the universe has begun. How did it begin? The Big God Theory from Genesis chapter 1 in the Bible describes the origin of the universe as the work of the Creator who has a great interest in His creation. The Creator is a God whom we can know personally. He is the great I Am who always was there. The uncreated first cause and we can trust what He says because He never lies. He says he created the cosmos in a particular historical sequence that differs from Big Bang philosophy, and there is nothing in the observations of the cosmos which is inconsistent with that account. I believe him because he does not lie.